0: Hi everybody and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM coach, and this is part two of episode 96. And one would ask, well, why am I breaking up episodes in part one and two? Well, one, I had explained earlier in the part one episode that this sort of flows into part one because I still am catching up on a lot of emails and a lot of questions and a lot of inputs and a lot of topics that I want to talk about into the new year. And two is also because I'm on that same um, flow of continuing to um, follow through on a variety of concepts that I wanted to address early in the year. Starting a new podcast um Let's say number 97 will take me a few days and i wanted to get this out within 96 hours 72 hours of the other one so i might have over promised there because it's probably been uh three days since the other one went out or it has been but again i wanted to get on this early and continue to uh, talk about the themes and the concepts we talked about in the first part and some of those themes include For example, that 50K training plan, which I've already gotten a lot of really uh, positive feedback about in case you hear like a jingle bell going off in the background, that is um, our puppy who is learning how to ring the jingle bells when she needs to go out. So I'm gonna pause this for a second and let her out. All right, there's that. So, and then also, I'm not going to do a long introduction on this 96 part two because, again, it should flow from the other one. And um, spending our time talking about what the weekly word podcast is about is probably not as effective this time. So, um, but back to the 50K plan, it's um, been getting some good feedback, and I hope it provides enough direction and guidance and clarity on what you can start building your own plan with your own week or two or three in this case also four weeks at once would be hard to build and i would not recommend that for anybody but instead sort of take the concept of that and make sure you're addressing those probably in each week or maybe you look back on the previous week and check in these early phases if you're hitting all four of those key components that i talked about And especially when it comes to evaluating that stress, what we said, stress, strength, technique, recovery, endurance, speed, and specific. Speed and specific, I often throw into one batch. Um, But again, like most coaches and most athletes that have a lot of running experience will tell you is... That you can combine these concepts into single workouts, right? You can work on your strength and endurance. You can work on your technique when you're doing speed and specific work, right? So you can work on a variety of different things in the same workout. You can start a workout with some high intensity speed work to fatigue you and really activate and have that explosive power, and you do it while you're fresh. And then you continue on for let's say another five or six miles, with steady form, pace, feel, etc. What I often do for more advanced athletes down the road is we do some track work um, early in the workout. We'll do a, a, a warm up, and then we'll do some 400s and 800s, maybe even 1,000 repeats. And then I will have them follow up that with a ever-increasing field run post the track ever-increasing means every week we'll add a little bit more time or distance to it we'll start maybe with four miles on field then maybe go four and a half or five miles on field probably building to six or seven max eight for some again advanced runners and not because they're advanced in their speed or their results but advanced in their years of training so that they have the durability to do speed plus another eight mile run after again we're not looking to shell anybody we're not looking to fatigue you and create that deep of a hole that you can't recover effectively from in order to have then the next stimulus so um But anyway, with that concept, we'll do some speed work at the track. And then the follow-up, what we do that four, five, six, seven miles on feel often gives athletes a good indicator of what their go-all-day pace is, I call it. And that is your pace on feel, though. When you're a little tired already, what's the realistic turnover feel pace that you're running and that gives you a good idea. Well, you know what, despite doing some speed work and warm up and, the, and some training the day before and stuff like that, so I have a little bit of a load in me, plus I created extra fatigue by doing some speed work and intensity. So I added more load. Now, not looking at a watch, not looking at heart rate, but instead afterwards saying, looking at the lap of four miles or the lap of five miles and evaluating after the workout is over that's important. You don't want to be looking at your watch or your heart rate. It's got to be on feel. Then you get a better idea of your current go-all-day pace. Go-all-day pace is, let's say, your three, four-hour, two to four-hour running pace, I would say. Uh, again, I'm talking broad strokes here. So there's a variety of ways then to take that and apply that fitness knowledge. So those four, five, six, seven miles at that pace This week, netted at that pace, at that feel, netted you this pace. Let's say in a few weeks from now, when you do five, six, seven, eight miles, or four, five, six, seven miles again, but you're doing this workout every week. But over time, you notice, not not exponentially or not linearly, but gradually and with some hiccups along the way, you notice that your feel pace starts becoming faster, and that again is a great sign of fitness. The front end load stays pretty consistent, if not has increased and your feel pace, your go all day pace on feel where you're not looking at heart rate or pace is gradually giving you a faster, natural going on feel pace. And that's a really nice confidence booster. Because despite the work and despite the load and despite the technique and the strength and endurance and recovery, um, all that in that bubble of work that you've done, that you're gradually getting faster on feel. Because at the end of the day, when you're running long or you're running longer off the bike, it technically has to match with feel. (laughs) Like you can force yourself to run at a quicker effort, turnover, gait, as many would say, um, intensity, mindset, but only for so long. And at that point, you're still gonna fall back on, feel what the legs give you naturally. Again, that's a sign of fitness and durability and and muscular strength and endurance, absolutely. And we can address those individually, but what you feel is what really happens. How many of times have you been in in a race whether it's the back end of a triathlon, or even a marathon, or even a 50K, or 50 mile is already a different sensation. But you're in those distances, or in those scenarios, and you notice, you you look down at your watch, and you go, huh, um, I should be running faster, but this is good enough. This feels right, or this will have to do, because this is all I can sort of muster up, right? Of course, there's some cognitive fatigue going on there because we've been focused and in an event for a variety of hours in case of an Ironman or a longer 50K run. But when you are at a pace that you say, this feels right and this is basically all I can give because if I go faster, sure, I can go faster for maybe five minutes, but I'll fall back to this rhythm of pace anyway. That's your go all day pace and that's the one we want to work on getting faster right or more fluid or a lighter um, higher turnover right a lighter higher cadence Um, we all have hopefully felt even for just a few strides what a light gait and a fast turnover feels like where you're sort of just running fluidly naturally covering terrain in a very natural way and that if we can expand that into a longer um, uh, window into a longer stretch of time or distance that's what we're looking to get to so that's what we want to keep in mind these first four weeks with regards to our forty, fifty k training, right? We want to get into a rhythm. We want to make sure we're looking back and addressing that we've hit all those points. We want to get into consistency. We want the body to recognize what it's doing on a daily, weekly basis. Because even on a weekly format, the body does remember um, its rhythm and flow of what it's doing. The body knows come Monday if it needs to, if it needs, if it typically has a rest day. It's bizarre, it it sometimes or quite often knows and just shuts you down differently. You're more fatigued, you're more lethargic on your rest day because the body knows to use this day as a rest day. Um, It knows track days, it knows turnover days, it knows long run days, it knows after you've done it for maybe not four weeks, but let's say 10 weeks, 12 weeks, it knows the natural rhythm of what it's doing. And so that's helpful too as you're preparing these first 4 weeks. It's setting up your skeleton for the next 16 weeks. I like to call it the scaffolding of a building, right? You put the scaffolding on in order or you put the yeah, the scaffolding on in order to then do the work on the building or build the building. Um But without the scaffolding, you're not really getting things into place in order to then make progress or really do some work. And the scaffolding is important. Um, And that's part of what these first four weeks are. They also set up your ability to hear what your body's telling you, what tolerances you have, where you're currently at with regards to fitness and distances and length and distance of running and so forth. So These are very valuable four weeks if you're engaged and you're paying close attention and you're sort of opening up your mind to be ready to listen to your body. And then there will be days here and there, maybe in the first four weeks, you might have one or two times where your mind has to tell the body what to do. Like, no, 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 you might feel this way, but today we're going to go out and do this work. Despite the body telling the mind, I don't want to. I'm tired. You all of a sudden put me into this routine. Um, How come um, today this could be switched out for another day? Careful with switching out workouts. It's sometimes necessary and we need to adapt to our daily lifestyle and how we're working, but we tend to typically run out of days in the week if we continue to move things around. What usually happens is if you're not feeling it that day and you push that. Um, focused workout or that speed work to another day, come that day, you might even be more tired. You're further into the week. You're further into the load of the training. You're further into maybe having done some core or some strength work and so forth. So it might not feel that good. So instead, there's days, not always, don't always do this because that would also create some um, challenges mentally and physically but there are days where you need to say no this is what i intend i with intention put on the training plan for this week when i wrote my calendar and i will do it if i put it in there i've thought it through it works with the schedule it works with my life schedule i have blocked off time for this i will go out and execute i will go out and do the process not oh, I don't feel it, or oh, this is, could be, procrastination, all that. That brings up a very fine point here, and that is your training. You're not exercising. And many of my athletes know this. I say this to a lot of them. Training ties into being an athlete. It's a mindset. It's a focus. It's a prep. It's a variety of choices that you make in your day, in your week, or many of these choices that you make in your day, that you choose to be an athlete. You're not choosing to be somebody who just exercises. When you choose to be an athlete, you choose progression. You choose um, growing, you choose training. Exercising means you're doing something for your health every day. You're getting the blood flowing and so forth but there's no A, there's no specific outcome. There's no real progression in the big picture. And you have no prescription truly of what you're doing, right? Prescription being a training plan or what's in the training plan. You don't want to exercise. Exercising, you get sorted to the gym and you decide which you want to do today. And you know, it doesn't really matter what you do today because there's no event, there's no outcome that you're working towards. And the voices in your head allow you to exercise. The voices, the the, the definition of training means that you have a specific outcome you're looking to achieve and you're going to do it. Now, that also comes with the price of oftentimes socializing or that comes with the price of hard work. When I go to a swim practice, there's a lot of people there that would like to socialize. Hey, how's it going? And this, and they catch up and their up takes forever. By the time they get in the pool, it takes forever. And this and that, chit chat, chit chat. No, I don't. I came there to train. And I want to use the warm up time to connect with my swim stroke, to feel the water, to try a few different things, to loosen up my ankles and my wrists and my lats and my back. And then the, the main set begins. I want to have the training stimulus. I want to push through certain zones or certain efforts and be happy with that. And then I am done. And usually, when I'm done, after I warm down, I go home or go back to work, right? So from that perspective, I'm not, it's training. It's not chit chat and the same thing at the gym or same thing on a treadmill or same thing when you're outside with friends. Execute your training. Keep that time that you allotted allotted to train specific, focus. It will buy you more time for friendships and socializing once you're done. Because you've done the work you need to do, right? Again, you're an athlete. You don't see a lot of athletes when they're training socializing. They have a specific, focused, outcome, deliberate outcome, purposeful outcome of that session. And sure, in the warm-up or warm down, or in the locker room, etc., go for it, right? Or when you're done with the main set or your specific outcome of a run workout or of a cycling workout or of a swim workout and you've done the main work and you're just let's say on a loosen down or on the easy part where you can easily jog even on the zone two stuff that feels too easy where you're talking about walking or run walking because you have to keep your heart rate down. Even there, I'm a proponent of not socializing you're like, but Chris it's freaking walking. Well, pay close attention to your breathing. Pay close attention to how your heart rate responds. Pay close attention to your balance and your shuffle and your jog. Pay close attention to your ankle mobility and your glute recruitment and how your heels kick up to 90 degrees or not. Pay close attention to your posture, your shoulders, what your hands are doing, how you're breathing, nose breathing, stomach breathing, chest breathing. There are So many things I could have you focus on even when you're walking that you would be exhausted from that. And not that I'm saying this is what you should be doing, but focus, it's your time. Now, we all know that I also talk about turning the brain off and connecting with your higher self um, versus the small mind that's busy oftentimes when we're doing this so that we can then connect with our higher consciousness. That's a different story. There's different workouts for that. And those usually don't happen in a crowded gym. Those usually don't happen when we only have an hour long quick workout at a track. Those usually don't happen on a high intensity interval class or something like that. No, those happen when we're out for a long run, for our long aerobic run. Plenty of time to meander through the real estate in our mind and our soul right? Or long bike rides and so forth. Sure. Do we want to continuously check in with what we're doing, our posture, our footwork, our cadence, our breathing, how we're feeling, our uh, our recruitment of certain muscle groups? Absolutely. But do you have to do that for three, four, five, six, seven hours straight? No, no. And that's what those longer aerobic zone two days are for. But Again, separating training from exercising. It's a mindset and it's a choice. And the bigger part of that is always remember your choice. I choose. Most of the training logs that I go through are choices. When things are difficult, there's choices. When things are done cor- incorrectly, there's choices. When um, we get sick, those are our choices. We, you can say, well, I, how can you stop yourself from getting sick? You can go back 10 steps, 10 days, two weeks prior. I'm sure there's choices in there that might have decreased the likelihood of that. Taking ownership of your day, of your hours, of your training, and everything you do and how you spend your days, that's a choice. You will not be a victim. Things don't happen to you. You chose what to do every single day and are not necessarily accountable because that makes it uh, sound too serious, but more that you choose this path through your day. You choose this direction. You have agency. You chose to be an athlete and you will choose to be an athlete for the next few months and years and hopefully forever because it's healthier, it's more time efficient, it has deliberate outcomes, And it's tied with so many successes in your day-to-day. So um, a lot to talk about with that 50K training, but those are the first four weeks. So what I'll do on the next, um, uh, probably in two, three weeks, start diving into weeks five through eight. So um, again, uh, hopefully this helps. Well, I know it helps. I know it gives more clarity around what my current athletes are doing, and what many of you that aren't my athletes can do in order to be successful for this. And again, define success, define outcomes, envision what you want to feel like when you're doing your event. And that alone allows you to build your training plan backwards from that. How do I want to feel when I'm running that 50K plan, or that 50K race? How do I plan to feel when I close my eyes and see myself at the starting line, when I see myself during the race, when I see myself on the back half of the race, when I see myself um, covering terrain through the day, from hills to crossing creeks, to running downhill, to steady long trails, to forest paths, to, you know, to bouldering in some cases and stuff. Whatever you envision, It will then, that snapshot, that picture, that click will set up your training plan. Well, if you're running downhill, well, what am I doing in my training plan? Strength, technique, recovery, endurance, speed, and specific to running downhill, right? How am I preparing for that? I want to feel strong the second half. Well, how is my endurance and strength going to carry me for that? I wanna be um, running steady across, uh, a, it's not a hilly course, but it's a long steady forested path type of course. Well, how am I preparing myself for consistent steady turnover for many hours? It will shape your training plan. So tie that into what I was talking about with the four workouts a week and some cross training and some core and stuff like that. And you will quickly Have a page full of concepts and ideas that you wanna touch upon. And from that, we can build it gradually. The canvas definitely has the colors and the outline going, the scaffolding, what we talked about, the skeleton. And then with the first four weeks in the books, then five through eight and eight through 12. Now that's a big chunk. That's eight weeks of the training plan. It really gets you ready for what you envision again as the outcome. And so then when you're doing the workouts, this is you, you're closing your eyes and you're seeing yourself bounding up hills. You're closing your eyes on a long run and you see yourself running the back half of that long run, two hours, three hours, four hours, whatever it is, faster than what you started. You feel your energy levels staying steady or I mean, they don't often increase because you're two, three, four hours in, but that you're not slowing down or that your energy is consistent early and how you feel, not necessarily muscle breakdown and achiness, but more just sort of alertness and um, joy in the activity. That's energy levels. Are you fueling and hydrating in order to set yourself up for that strong back half, in order to then fulfill your vision of what you have described or described, seen, when you want to have that outcome of the race. So part of that vision is also your ability to think through the terrain, think through how you want to feel, see yourself doing the activity. This Alaska man that I'm doing in June. I've never done that type of event, but I'm already envisioning what it's like swimming at 3:45 or 3:30 in the morning in basically the dark. Alaska in June, late June, is it's light out at three. So I, what, what that's gonna be like. And as cold as that water is, 48 degrees. And what that will entail, I'm already envisioning that. Come that day, I know it will be cold in the water, but I have been thinking about that cold water and how I'll feel and react to it and prepared for it or not prepared for it and how my hands will feel, my feet will feel, my head will feel, my face will feel and how I'll work through that and how I'll train in that and I'll go to the bay and swim in that cold water and even without a wetsuit so that i get used to 55 degree water without a wetsuit so that when i'm in 48 degree water with a wetsuit and all those things and then the same thing on the bike ride and envisioning that and the beauty these days of youtube so you actually can see somebody riding the course already so you're sort of familiar with the course so i can watch the course see myself then riding the course and when i pass those areas and that terrain and those landmarks. I've already envisioned that and my cadence and how I want to feel there and what kind of wattages I'm holding and how what my breathing's like and how relaxed I am in my posture and the aero position on the bike and what I've eaten and what I've drank. I've thought of all those things, not yet, but I will through the next few months of closing myself, my eyes and envisioning myself doing that activity successfully. And then the same thing running on trails and this path and up the mountain and having a crew because they insist on crew and I'm going to have to be running with somebody and who that will be and how they'll be running with me and not getting annoyed with them and or my conversations with them and how I'm going to take out the first few miles and how I want to feel on the steep parts going uphill and it's far into the day and trying to hit the upper loop and all kinds of different aspects of this race. Trail running in Alaska, what that will feel like, and grizzlies and that the whole concept and cross-crossing streams and the scenery and the beauty of it all and the people and where there will be people and where the aid stations are and then what come, my energy levels will be like and what I'll be wearing and how cold I'll be or how warm I'll be and mosquitoes and blah, right? All of it over the next... You know, 27 weeks will perpetuate, ah, not 27, 20 weeks will perpetuate in my mind. A little bit every day, no nothing suddenly, but all of it is unfolding ever so gradually in my mind and that ties into how I build my training plan. I need to be ready for something where I'm riding consistently on a triathlon bike, but not quite as aggressive because it's basically 120 miles of steady, Light gradient uphill. Well, now what do I do for that type of training? Very little change, in undulation like Marin County, but more steady, just grinding, right, uphill. But cool temperatures and what will I be wearing and what kind of gearing do I want to have for that? And how do I want to prepare for that? That is being an athlete with the mindset and the choices I make. Back to those choices. I choose to do this event, and therefore I choose to be prepared, and therefore I choose to train for it, and therefore I choose to go about it in a certain way, and therefore I choose, I'm excited to make these choices, to choose to learn a new adventure, to learn a new location, to learn a new outcome with with friends and so forth, with new people and a, and, and, and a In an event, sure, the distances are familiar and the hours it'll take are familiar, but putting it together in a format like this will be fun. And I choose to do that. So if I choose to do it, I will make choices, many, many, many thousands of micro choices along the way that will lead me to be satisfied with the big choice I made to do that event. So... All right, that was 30 minutes just talking about that. So I wanted to follow up also on some questions I received, not only by email, but also based on some of the podcasts then from one of my athletes just a few days ago. And it's a little bit more technical one, but at least I find that those technical ones also reach plenty of you that are curious about the same topic. He asked me, why it is that I'm a proponent of swimming with fins and paddles. And so no pull buoy, just fins and paddles. So if you swim with fins and paddles, you're, and you swim too slow, not too slow meaning in a negative way, but just swim slower and focus on your stroke, it's quite um, ineffective. It is not um, meant to be done in those circumstances. But the whole concept around fins and paddles is to swim faster than you usually would, but balancing the two power methods that you're using, fins, which make you a lot faster, use a ton of oxygen though, because you're using big muscles, hamstrings, glutes, quads, and paddles. Now, paddles along with fins, also big muscle groups, big shoulder groups, triceps, lats, so forth, um, upper, uh, uh, upper back. Now, combining the two and swimming faster fatigues you quicker, big muscle groups, and you are effectively really trying to push pretty strongly. But it also shows a delicate balance between pulling harder and a light kick, or kicking harder and a light pull, You want to understand the dynamic between those two, as well as creating the fatigue and the oxygen deficit that's swimming faster with those big utensils, (laughs) hand paddles, and fins on your limbs. And so, using big muscle groups, big power, big strength building, big gear work on the bike, think that, but now also think that you're doing something with the upper body at the same time on the bike. Just think how that fatigues you and gets you out of breath. But also what's interesting is, again, that balance between stronger pulling, higher turnover, stronger effort, and just dragging the feet lightly with a, a kick or a strong kick and just moving the arms gradually through the water because the fins are doing most of the work. Now, again, the sweet spot only comes once you break a certain critical speed. What I usually would say is that your intervals, your times, your pace, your send off, even should be about ten percent faster when you're doing these sets. So that means when you are swimming with fins and hand paddles, um, usually late in a workout, to again use muscular strength, to create that endurance from a strength and um, durability perspective. Let's say you typically swim one thirty per 100. <laughs> right? I want that to be around 120 119. When you're swimming with fins and hand paddles that much faster. If you're typically a 120 100 swimmer, it should be around 110. And if you're typically a 145 100 freestyle pace swimmer, right now you're talking 105 seconds. Well, 10% 10 ish 11, 12 seconds faster than that. So you should be in the 132 to 135 range for the pace. Minimum, you could go faster. Um, But again, it's incredibly fatiguing. You'll need more rest at the walls because you'll be out of oxygen and muscularly fatigued. But 10% is a good guidance to start from. The stronger swimmers and the stronger underwater uh, as in lung capacity guys and girls of course can do 15-20% faster because they have that balance between pull and kick optimized that they're in the sweet spot that they're flying down the pool but again it comes at a huge price and your ability to learn that and apply that and balance that is very valuable A for fitness and B for your swimming ability All righty. Um, an email, enjoy your podcast and try to pull lots of good tips for self coaching out of it. Thank you. I was curious after listening to episode 95, five, if you have any tips for swim training in an endless pool, it makes it a little harder for splits and rests and rest with the steady speed instead of your own pacing with laps. I currently use a tempo trainer, which I can set the time, same time as I have current speed of the pool so that I can swim in certain speeds. Outside of that, I'm a little lost on how to best form my training. I work out specifically for triathons, so I normally do a lot of longer steady at different speeds or dial up the speed or dial the speed up to, to do 100, 200 as over speed work. Any tips? All right. So, um, yes, I am quite familiar with endless pool swim training um, because um, it used to be a little bit more popular, uh, less so these days but again i would say you can do almost any swim practice in an endless pool because very similar to um there was another uh format that i was thinking of this i i forget right now but very uh, uh, what you can do is just do your typical swim pace so if you dial up the endless pool to let's say a 130 pace well then do 10 100s right One thirty pace as in 90 seconds stop or move out of the jet recover and then 15 20 seconds later do number two 90 seconds so you set your uh, uh, tempo trainer to 90 seconds or um, some other beeping or some other timing mechanism you need the timing mechanism so instead of swimming by pace you turn on and off your ability to swim in the jet and with the current in the current excuse me um, based off of time so 130s for 100s three minutes for 200s um, 430 for 500s and so forth and i would surely continue to do interval training the biggest mistake most triathletes make in their swim practice i see them all the time at the pool they get in and they swim steady well then it does you very little good other than maybe once a week. Because again, you want a stimulus. You wanna get out of that gray zone and swimming steady means you're in the gray zone. You're in the no improvement zone. You need to be faster than or slower than that to have clear changes in speed. Many of the triathletes that come to my swim practices or my camps, I see it right away. They don't have changes in speed. And it frustrates them. And I say, the more dramatic your swings are in speed, the more you will improve your swimming. But most triathletes get to the pool and they think workout. They think, must get in 45 minutes of work or hour of work or hour and 15 of work. And they don't even give themselves enough rest, even if they are doing, you know, 100s, 200s, 300s, 150s, uh, 50s, 75s, 25s, all the different formats of swim practice. Then they only stop 5 seconds or 2 seconds or 10 seconds or 7 seconds or whatever versus a minute rest or a 2 minutes rest or 90 seconds rest or, you know, 30 seconds rest after a fifty. That's the important thing so that you do it technically sound and you increase your effort so that you will need the recovery. But you want to practice good technique. You don't want to just swim bad technique for an hour or for whatever the intervals are. If you're doing six 300s with a minute rest and you're just, you say, ah, that's too much rest. I'm going to do 30 seconds rest. But you're swimming eight of those, as, uh, what, six 300? So if you're doing four or five of them with crappy technique, Well, great. Sure, you had the heart stimulus, but you didn't improve your swimming. Slow down. So many athletes, whether in cycling, running, or uh, swimming, are surprised when they're with the real elites, how slow their slow is. They're they're not surprised with how fast their fast is because they're like, oh, those are world-class athletes, and they should be running that much faster than me. But when you're running with an elite marathoner that's holding five-minute miles comfortably over terrain and dows it up to 445, 430 when they need to, and they run slow at 730, it's like they're shuffling in place. That differential is dramatic. So for us mortals, that means a seven-minute mile and a 10-minute mile. That means cycling at a clear differential of 12 miles an hour or 22 miles an hour, or swimming at speeds that is painstakingly slow. Let's say you're a 130 swimmer, so you slow down to two minute per 100 average. That slows you way down, but that's the differentiating in speed. You have to be able to turn on the three different speeds easy, moderate, and fast. And moderate is there to reconnect with your stroke, to keep the effort steady and smooth and put some power into your stroke, into your stride, into your cycling form, but not so that it taxes you, fatigues you, makes your technique and form break down. So there's a sweet spot between the two that saves your energy, but applies the principles of good technique and a little bit of effort. And so back to this question, the important thing here is to understand that you want to have different speeds to turn on. And so swimming steady in an endless pool is great, maybe once a week to zone out, like I said earlier, with regards to finding yourself and just sort of zoning out. That's awesome. But then the rest of the time, it should be pretty deliberate. I used to like a great set in the swim in the endless pool it was like five, four, three, two, one, two, three, four, five minutes of swimming. As I went down, five, four, three, two, one, the I dialed up the 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 jet um, the speed a little bit from five to four, a little bit more from four to three, a little bit more from two to three to two, a little bit more from two to one, and then I sprinted a one. Let's say. And then I gradually went back up again and, you know, I would either slow down the jet or try to find the setting, let's say, of two from the way down and I would maintain that from one, two, three, maybe through four. I'd probably fall off at five, but then five I'd use, as let's say, a stretch out or distance per stroke and Really lengthen out my stroke, but not give up too much on speed. And you can learn the relationship between the two very nicely in an endless pool. And I would let's say do that 4 with maybe a minute rest or forty-five seconds rest. That gives me time to catch my breath, to shake out my arms and shoulders, and also change that dial setting that um, the speed on the jet or speed of the endless pool. Right there, that's 30 minutes of work. That's a solid, solid set. Some warm up, some drills, some side swimming, some catch up, but with your arms on your side and opening up your hips, some kicking, some swimming with a pool boy. All those things can be done in an endless pool. And then ready for the main set. And then again, those are great sets to work on with regards to monitoring your improvement. It's like you're on a treadmill, it's perfect but not always. So if you have the opportunity to also get into pools or open water, that would be great too. Because again, it allows for your body and your senses and for you to be used to different outputs and inputs and still find your feel for the water, at your pace. So I hope that helps. But yeah, I would take a regular workout. Simply put, I'd take a regular swim workout that you can find online or you know, there's plenty that you can get um, and then apply the time for each. So if it says six times 100, well, if you're a 130 swimmer, that's six times 90 seconds with whatever the rest interval is listed. Or if you're doing a six 200s or 150s or stuff like that, you can apply that to the time and then there you have it. So hope that helps. There isn't a day I don't read training plans or notes from athletes having done their training that I don't notice that athletes are struggling in order to keep their effort up, in order to keep their heart rate up in the zone. And now, of course, what's happening there is partially fatigue, right? When our body gets tired, we um, fatigue, and it shows itself via suppressed heart rate, a lower heart rate. So the work required to get the heart rate up is um, is. Exponentially higher. And so there's a work effort there that feels way harder than it should be, or than you have noticed also on other days, other weeks, other phases of training. And then, of course, that's the body also fighting you and protecting itself from working hard. It does not want the adaptation to happen today. Now, Do we wanna do this too many days in a row? No, Um, but this is also why it is so important to keep the focus on the big picture of the week, the deliberate outcomes of the training, and spend our mental energy on the right things. Now, this is training. As we said earlier, training is not exercising. Training requires a focus, a deliberate sort of um, intent going into the workout, a motivation and a clarity to execute, a willingness to tell yourself, I will, not I will try, I will, um, not um, let's see, it's on there, I will execute. And not just to the best of my ability, but I will execute. And so in order, if we have that intent going into the week of workouts, going into the workouts, and we've thought about Thursday's workout already on Monday and Tuesday, because we have the big picture in mind, not just waking up, seeing what the workout is, which by the way, drives me absolutely bananas when athletes overlook intervals or forget to do something, then they're clearly not preparing as an athlete doing the front end work the pre-work to look at what they need in order to execute a workout um, um, successfully as prescribed Um, so as i'm looking at my week as i'm preparing for my workouts what today's workout is how will it impact the quality the higher effort the endurance work later in the week and so they all fit together in some sort of way now no not it's not in a brain surgery type of this workout needs to be right here because then on thursday you're this and the puzzle pieces need. no it's just big picture i want you to keep in mind well these like i was saying in the training plan these four workouts are critical they all hit a certain physiological adaptation that i'm looking for and so When an athlete says they're struggling mentally to stay in that zone long enough or working hard enough, I will go back and look two, three days earlier and notice, well, you might have gone a little bit too hard there, or you might have gotten a little bit carried away there. So that's when it's clean, black and white on a piece of paper, right? Our brain and our bodies are tired from our other life as well, right? Work and family, and the overall day-to-day stress of life, and the load of it, the adrenal fatigue of it, maybe some sleep at fatigue aspect of it. So there's a lot of things that muddy the waters here that we can't just point to, well, therefore, you didn't do this on Tuesday, that's why it's affecting this workout on Thursday, or you didn't do this on Wednesday properly, and therefore, your Saturday-long workout is compromised. I get that. It doesn't all unfold like that. But I want you to still get the learning out of it of am I truly doing the easy and the hard, the high intensity and the low intensity in the proper doses and proper zones in order to successfully absorb this week. And like we said, it's not only physical, it's also mental. Mentally being drained, mentally being fatigued, mentally being foggy, tired, um, without that pop and that grit and that determination, what I would also call freshness of mind, makes telling the body to overcome way harder because the doubts and the questions and the fatigue weigh on us and it requires more energy to overcome that and especially for longer intervals, 30 minute intervals, 40 minute intervals, hour long intervals, or a hard four hour ride where I often have athletes do for example, a rising wattage line ride, rising wattage rides are very, very difficult. They, They just add up and they leave you completely empty. So for example, for a four hour ride like that on a Saturday, like your Friday and Thursday already need to be tempered because you're thinking about the depletion and the mental um, fortitude that you will need in order to really properly execute that purposeful practice outcome. I'm using key buzzwords there from exercise physiology and a lot of purposeful practice, practice deliberate training. That's the training that we all want. Every one of you listening to this wants that type of training where it has a specific purpose. It's not just junk miles. It's not just out there doing it. Now, you might say, Chris, there's so many times where you just, especially my athletes, where you just say, Head out for an easy ride or run or brain off. Yes, but even there, the purpose, although it might be hidden, um, it might be a little bit um, uh, discreet in how it's shown. The purpose there is economy of motion. A lot of endurance athletes um, don't realize how valuable repetitive um, brain off easy motions are. Um, how beneficial they are because your motions become more economical more efficient and your oxygen uptake and usage for that goes down and it increases your lung capacity capillaries and mitochondria there's a lot of effects on that brain off easy repetitive multiple workouts a week when they're sprinkled into uh, other quality workouts Now, of course, that also ties into do they fatigue you so that you can't do the real quality and purposeful training effectively? Yes, and that's part of a good training plan. And then tying that into, of course, your busy lives and your daily lives and the other stresses in your lives. But we've talked enough about that for now. My point I'm trying to make here with this segment is to really understand and think about how you are preparing for the workouts of the week in a bigger picture where you say, oh, clearly on Thursday, wow, that looks challenging. I'm gonna need to really engage that day and be prepared and hydrated and a little bit more um, focused towards it. And so with that, I'm gonna keep that in mind on my Tuesday and Wednesday workouts and my sleep and my nutrition and sort of just that overarching bigger attention to the details of the week and the prescription and the outcomes we're looking for um, is a huge holistic um, opportunity for many of you to become even better athletes when you start grabbing that bigger picture. And that's what I want you to do. I'm not saying somebody is failing or not doing it well enough when they're struggling with these longer intervals. But as we go week to week and month to month, we want to have a better understanding of those long. I want this athlete in a, in a few weeks and a few months by the summer to have a way better understanding and grasp of their week and of their training so that these long intervals are properly absorbed and properly executed and build confidence and, have a little bit of a story in them that you remember when things get difficult in your in your races and in your events and your expeditions and so forth, so that you have something to draw back on. You you fall back and you remember, man, I overcame that in those workouts. I was so fatigued, but then I created clarity. I created focus. I said, I will execute. I just mind over body. All those little things, all those little connections, all those little experiences add up to the story of you becoming the athlete that you are truly capable of becoming in the now, who you currently are. And that is constantly a dynamic. It is improving because of these experiences. That's truly also what training is mentally, right? We're doing a lot of physical training, but also all this is mental. And all this you're um, storing away in the file cabinet. And on race day or on event day or on a expedition time, you are ripping open those cabinets and pulling files left and right to validate how you're feeling and boost you forward and accepting that things are going bad or feeling negative because you have a file on that and you know, okay, I'll come out of this. This is how I felt then. And then you want to rip open another file cabinet and find another file for what to do when, you know, you have some GI issues or you have some pacing issues or you have some um, um, achy lower back issue, whatever. There's a zillion things that can come up. But because we've practiced it, you're pulling files from the file cabinet, opening it up and going, oh, yeah, I did that here. I'm familiar with that. I've incorporated that into my learning. And guess what? From there, season two and season three and season four of you being an endurance athlete will just continue to build this huge file cabinet of subconscious connections and Stories and memories and habits and approaches to the training and how you apply yourself and how you're storing energy and how you're saving energy and how you're sleeping and recovering and relaxing. How you move through your day changes over time. It changes because you know almost subconsciously because you read the training plan for the week and you know on Saturday is a big huge day. You start catching yourself on Thursday slowing down. Slowing down, not purposefully because you almost don't have to think about it anymore. You read it on Monday or on Sunday and you're prepped for the week. And as of Thursday, you notice, wow, you know, I'm paying more attention to slowing down or sitting in uh, standing less or, you know, you know, conserving energy because the body and your mind already knows Saturday is going to be taxing the weekend's going to be taxing, or you have an event coming up, it's going to be taxing. So I'm starting to conserve and bank energy. And we have those micro cycles every week. So keep that in mind, try to get that bigger picture of the week together, really understand it, and then enter the week with that, with that, um, I wouldn't say focus, but with that understanding and perspective of how you want to flow through your week on expending your energy on which workouts, not just physically, but big time mentally, because there will be times, maybe not yet in February right now, but maybe in June and July, where there's some real taxing stuff, May, June, July, August, when we're in the heart of our training season, high quality, very race-specific simulated work, and you really need to apply your mental energy, and we want to be ready for that when that time comes. All right, let's dive into another listener question, and I really like this one because it brings up a variety of concepts that I think are quite applicable and helpful to all of us Um, hi Chris I hope you don't mind me picking your brain but I'm struggling to come up with answers as to my predicament I was due to be taking part in a 20-miler in February but have had to pull the plug due to a very confusing and worrying issue Um, timing wise I received this email on December 23rd (laughs) so um, about a month and a half ago not quite so, a brief history. Back in May, my training was going well. However, I rolled my ankle and didn't really give it time to recover. Rerolled it a few months later and then pushed through with ankle braces and eventually got myself through to normal running. However, the ankle is not the issue. I lost consistency and had various weeks off running. And then when it came to getting back in it, I basically upped my KM to about 70 km per week very quickly, plus doing cardio work in the gym. Sometimes run twice a day or run in the morning and ergo in the evening. Not much sleep, working away from home and driving close to a 1,000 kilometers every weekend to spend short time with my family. The training seemed to be going well, then suddenly on an evening run, my heart rate went through the roof and pretty much every run after that has been much of the same. I now, I know, I now, it's K-N-O-W, but I think it's supposed to be N-O-W. I know, I now find it a struggle to run at any sort of pace without my heart rate shooting up after a couple of KMs. Every effort is slower and feels harder in everything I do, running, rowing, cycling, or cardio. I've seen a cardiologist and there is no issue with my heart. So my only guess is that I got myself deep into overtraining with pushing too hard after injuries and the whole work-life balance out of kilter. I'm trying to rest and ease myself out of this, but reaching out for any advice you can give me to get my fitness back. I've gone from ultra runner to wannabe couch to five to wannabe couch to five km. All right. So this is actually. Um, there's a variety of concepts in here that I want to touch on, but high level, yes, I could have told you there's nothing going on with your heart. You are in a complete shutdown of your body, and it's the first signals that your body can no longer handle the load that you have asked it to do. And I hate to say this in a an in a, um, alarmist way, but If you do not take care of yourself now, this has a way of moving beyond just fatigue, chronic fatigue, but also affecting organs and affecting your overall health. And just because you think you've been healthy with this training, the other side, the other end of the spectrum, your body is gradually killing itself. And I know that sounds extreme, but I also wanna highlight to all of us listening in this community, this is something that we can't overlook. The body sends us so many signals, and if we continue to ignore the signals, we will end up in a hole that will not only take years to get out of, at which point we're mentally, physically, and spiritually so fatigued and so downtrodden the inertia and the energy it takes to return to any type of fitness, let alone endurance fitness, is virtually impossible. And I have seen this before. I have seen athletes go from my coaching to another coach to another coach after I've recognized that they're already coming to me way too fatigued, way too tired, way too adrenally um, depleted and destroyed um and their body has sent them so many signals but pushed through it so often that you don't even realize anymore how tired you are it is that new normal but on a negative way and so let's break it down here in a few concepts one the rush back from injury it is what it is that's in hindsight and i don't know you well enough and how it went but again, it seems even the way you're writing it and expressing it on in an email slash on paper, um, you're already describing that you were probably a bit too hastily um, um, focused on returning to fitness. Fitness is addicting. We love the sense of feeling fit and healthy and alive. Don't get me wrong. I am very similar in this case. But I never want to get to a point, and I focus heavily on this, that I can't hear my body's signals. I do not want so much static in my life that I can't tune into my body to find the proper radio station where the channel is clear. High def FM radio. And of course, as we go through our days and weeks and our lives are stressful and tiring and exhausting and family and career and so forth, the dial on the radio continues to move and static here and there, but then try to dial it back. Find that sweet spot where you are hearing your body. Maybe, like I always say, maybe just a few minutes, 40 minutes a day, an hour a day where you're at High Def FM Clarity Radio high fidelity right radio where you can hear your soul your body and the signals it's telling you and in this case you stayed probably in the static and pushed to the wrong radio station too often with this ankle um, injury but even that could be fine in a vacuum even that could be fine i lost consistency had various weeks off running and when it came to getting back in it, I basically upped my KM to 70 KM per week. Now, what is 70 KM per week? If you're getting ready for a 20 miler, I'm not sure you need to be running 42-ish miles a week for a 20 miler, right? Again, keep in mind for all of you on the stimulus needed for your event, If I'm not sure if that was your only goal, right? And you, you said you're an ultra, I've gone from ultra runner to wannabe couch to 5K. Um, I was due to be taking part in a 20 miler in February. So if I'm getting ready for a 20 miler, even if it's on uh, a trail, so even pretty steep trail, let's say you average 12 minutes per mile for an average ultra running pace. I'm not saying that's great, not saying that's slow, not saying that's fast. Just say up 12 minutes is a good mile pace, steady mile pace for trails on a rolling hilly terrain, which most ultra runs are. So 20 miles, 12-minute miles, right? That takes us, so that's about five miles an hour. Um, So that would take about four hours to run that. So, but not sure 70 km is necessary. Again, plus cardio work in the gym. So you're doing more than the, the 70 km. And sometimes run twice a day in the morning. So... Again, don't know your history, but if you look at yourself and you chart your body's output with regards to physical fitness, with regards to health, this lifestyle, endurance training, and you chart it over years of your life, where did the curve kick up? Did it kick up just recently in the last 18 months to this type of training? That's a big deal because you can then just look and say in the last 18 months versus the f- previous whatever 30 years of my life i was pretty low on the that axis and then all of a sudden the volume kicked way up right and now of course you can basically chart why the overload became too much but even that in a vacuum is fine because if you're getting sleep if you're eating and Um, providing the proper nutrients and fuel to your body, part of recovery, part of regeneration, part of rebuilding, part of our sleep focus and rebuilding and recovery focus. If that was the case, then maybe, but not much sleep, working away from home, driving close to 1,000 kilometers every weekend and to spend short time, whoa, way over the edge. And again, this chronic fatigue, which is... Feel free to all look it up. There is some serious health repercussions to chronic fatigue. And as I said earlier, we have this one body. This is not my quote. It's a quote I heard uh, by some executive who overdid it many years ago. um, And he did a TED Talk or some sort of talk. And he talked about this, protect the asset the best asset we have to make our contribution to the world is ourselves. If we underinvest in ourselves, meaning our mind, body, and spirits, we damage the very tool we need to make our highest contribution or the contribution we want to make in our daily process, right? Our fitness and our family and our career. If, we're, if we don't take care of this one thing, we only have one thing, this body. If we don't take care of it, then it all comes crashing down like a house of cards. And the number one damager to this asset, this tool we have, this body of this one body we have for our lifetime, that's it. It's done. This beautiful vehicle of ours is gone after this lifetime. And so we only get one suit. We only get one flesh suit and lack of sleep is the number one damager to it by far all the you can say what you want i get by with four to five hours of sleep it's coming it's coming either way the lack of sleep is coming for you and in this case this is a perfect example for someone who burnt the candle on both ends hopefully you can gradually get it back there is no issue with your heart you got yourself into a deep Um, overtraining aspect and work-life balance got knocked out and that is it is it, it happens for sure and so again look at yourself and your um the volume you've done over the last two three four five six years versus the rest of your life and then look at that from a perspective of okay i ramped up too quickly Look at um, your lifestyle with regards to getting sleep and taking care of yourself. And in order to build that body that I was talking about, stress, strength, technique, recovery, endurance, speed, specific. And why going to 70KM? So plus cardio work in the gym, plus ergo. Like it seems to me that there's a variety of concepts going on there that are just being applied from a I like to work out. And I say this to so many of my athletes, they like to work out, but they're not necessarily training. And I talked about it on this podcast earlier. Are you exercising or are you training? In this case, it looks to me like it's a number on a page or it's a total we want to achieve or it's a sensation we want to feel every day and we're exercising. We're not training because training includes recovery. It rec- rec- includes sleep and adaptation, and not training for a few days if the recovery is more important in order to have better adaptations. And, like I say to any injured athlete or sick athlete, look at it now. Now you're doing nothing. So, that extra workout here and there, and just the sensation of feeling good, and I'm addicted to the workouts, I love the outcome and the feeling and this and that. Now, You're nothing, not you're not nothing. And I'm saying in an exercise mode, in a workout mode, in doing a 20 miler mode and future endeavors mode, you're stuck with very little. Again, we have to listen to our bodies and allow it to tell us and guide us. It knows, it knows what your best performance is. It knows what your best possible outcome is. I totally believe that. I know that subconsciously it knows what it needs to do. And when you have something, a vision in your mind on an athletic outcome or an achievement, it knows and it can. it is helping guide you towards your best version of yourself. So thanks for any words you have. I hope that just highlighted or clarified what you already know. It, you're seeing it already here. My only guess is that I got myself deep into overtraining with pushing too much after injuries and the whole work-life balance. Not just pushing too much, each one of them in a vacuum could be possible. But again, if your work-life balance and the whole holistic view of this entire process is out of balance, then you're stuck. Um, and it's the three-legged stool that I talk about. And I'm going to talk about right now. Another quick thing to say about the chronic fatigue aspect, the regeneration protocol and the rebuilding of this person's life, this athlete's life, will take some time. It will take way longer than the injury recovery and the build to this and the sacrifices we made with regards to sleep. It could take a year or two and will require a lot of reflection and rebuilding that hopefully we can regenerate not we as me as the coach but um, one can regenerate that version of ourselves that actually can do this alone the nutrition aspect here and the attention to detail that that it will require so nutrition along with sleep with along with lifestyle changes along with a different approach to our days along with how long it takes to really, one, let go, two, rebuild and allow ourselves to sleep and regenerate, and three, to make it um, a long-lasting lifestyle change in order to then gradually regenerate to being an athlete. Those are question marks, actually, and those are not secured and determined outcomes. Um, this could sit with an athlete that goes into a chronic fatigue state for a long time and we all know that there's outcomes like shingles for this there's a rather, the variety of ways that the body shows an overload of stress and adrenal fatigue and a, a variety of ways of that that fatigue manifests itself and so again i don't want to sound alarmist but I just also want to highlight to you an example and this in this case it might be one of those examples where hopefully he caught it early enough and can make a couple weeks months of changes and regeneration and rebuilding and restarting the process to have an outcome down the road of becoming an ultra endurance athlete again but there's many many scenarios where I've come across athletes that that would be not something we that's realistic in their future so Again, this is a challenging question and a challenging, uh, a difficult uh, type of um, um, description answer to hear. I realize that, but there are sides to this training, to this lifestyle, um, and to the addictive qualities of um, of exercise and sensations of feeling from training that we need to also be careful of, and I want to be sure we address that and talk about it and one of them the way we can do that is focus again on the sleep and the priorities of our life and the three-legged stool and making sure we're not doing this from a validation and an ego self and instead doing it in order to bring the best version of ourselves forward which means one that makes its highest contribution to family to career and to our own self-care So let's tie that all together with regards to our goals and intentions for 2019 and closing out this double episode 96 podcast. And what I'd like to do with that is tie in, like I was just saying, the goals, tie in the training plan, tie in the the mental energy we just talked about, tie in the bigger picture concept on what your desired outcomes are for 2019. What's the big picture that we want to grow upon and get better at? What's the bigger picture that we want to take ownership on and make better choices in order to have a better outcome? Because everything we do on a daily basis as athletes, as a father, as a mother, as a family member, as an employee, as a manager, as a CEO, all that comes down to making choices and trade-offs, right? Right? We all know this. We know it, but we don't make necessarily the best choices all the time for those specific outcomes of our three-legged stool that I keep talking about. That three-legged stool, as a reminder, being our family and our loved ones and that life, and with that also some community. And then, of course, the other leg being our work and our career and our growth in our professional space and even if that is not a formal career but just our growth professionally in our learning in our reading in our courses in our college work in our post-degree work continuing education post that or also of course applying ourselves appropriately in the work and the career we've chosen which is hopefully something that you are enjoying and passionate about so that's two legs and then there's that third leg, right? That that self-care leg, that the one that is on personal health and um, growth and fitness and our spirit and where we need to be very, very mindful of this leg because without this leg, the other two legs are compromised. And that's sort of where... I wanna progress the three-legged stool conversation too for all of you over time. And that is understanding that we have to take care of not only all three legs, but the most important leg, the most important asset we have, the most um, valuable contribution we can make to our world, to the bigger world, to our family, to our career, to ourselves is by protecting that third leg. If we underinvest in ourselves, in our health, meaning our mind, our body, and our spirits, our spirit, not spirits, well, some of us have multiple spirits, we damage the very tool we need to make the highest contribution, our contribution in our, our world. And that means without the energy without the balance there in that third leg, leg without the self care, without the healthy approach to it, without the fueling and nutrition and hydration in our day-to-day, meaning bigger picture, not during exercise, without that strong third leg, third legged, third leg of the stool, we can't be our best in our family life. And we can't be our best in our professional life. And, you know, there's a variety of factors that play into that, of course, health and fitness, but also recovery and sleep, right? So that we have the energy to properly apply ourselves and be present and to be fulfilled and to grow in each one of those other legs. With a family, you're growing, you're constantly growing. Hopefully, you're not the same person you were five, 10 years ago than you are now because you're growing, you're learning, you're understanding, you have a better understanding of family and love and community and support and listening. <laughs> and then in career, hopefully you're not the same person you were five, 10 years ago, you've grown, you've learned, you've expanded your knowledge, you've matured, you have wisdom to apply to your career, your technical craft, your whatever you're beautiful craft is that you're giving to the world and that is supported by that third stool third leg of the stool now as i've said many times before of course we can't always keep that third leg super strong life gets in the way the other two are constantly trying to get longer imagine a stool to shorten that leg to create an imbalance on the platform of the stool the one we sit on stand on whatever we use that stool for so there's this tug of war going on all the time and that brings me to the jar the jar for 2019 and many of you know the jar concept with the rocks the pebbles and the sand but for now let's focus on just getting the rocks into the jar and what i mean by that is Let's get the bigger picture concepts in that we talk about that you might be committing to into filling the jar. That might only be three or four or five rocks into this proverbial jar, the jar of our life, the jar of 2019. Let's just take it from that perspective. And as we get better at that, whether it's in the training plan aspect with right now the four bigger workouts and the concepts around that, or it's the approach to our daily lives with regards to the three-legged stool and how we're taking care of family, we put that rock into the jar and we're, we're being good about that main concept, that main um, daily intention of saying, you know what? I'm on track my day today when I look back or um, reflect on my day, I know I attended to that leg, to my family, to my community. I was present and on a side note, my job as a coach, I believe, is that you feel good enough and taken care of enough and have an advocate strong enough that when you are with your family or you are with your, in your professional world, you are not thinking about your training. You're not wondering what it is or, or, or distracted by it because you are doing that to the best of your ability and with intent and focus and a good mindset and you've prepped for it so that then you don't have to think about it all day. I want you present with your family. I want you focused with your community. I want you um, joyful and happy there at that leg of the stool or the other leg of the stool. Why? Because it's pretty crappy when we're th- with our family or at work, but we're thinking about another leg of the stool. That could be at work, we're thinking about family and training or in our health or our self-care. Well, then you're not doing the work one as effectively. Now that one starts getting shorter and that stool will start being coming imbalanced in that direction. And then it requires more energy to boost that one up and it's drawing from the other ones, they're getting shorter. Whereas if we stay in balance and we stay focused on the jar and putting the right rocks in, the three rocks in this case, we have the ability of keeping the other legs strong at the same length and gradually, nothing dramatically boosting up that other leg without drawing energy from the other legs, but instead feeling good and focused and present and creative and patient and energetic and full of vitality and passion. Those are the words and the emotions and the approaches and the presence we want to have when we're in that stool. That makes that leg grow to bring it back in balance without sucking energy from the other two. Those three rocks go in the jar for now. That's it. That's all that'll fit. And too many of us are throwing other things in there. We take smaller rocks, five, six, seven of them, and try to fit them in the jar. But yet, it's not really the ideal. We are not there yet to start throwing pebbles in and filling it up with sand as well to really maximize the jar. We want to just be happy with the three big rocks that are in the jar. And down the road, whether it's in a training plan approach or in this daily life approach, we notice that, yes, we can start adding some smaller rocks and pebbles because we are in tune and focused and have figured out a routine and a rhythm to the three big rocks, to the three legs of the stool, to our priorities. In this case, also from a 50K training plan, we've figured out those four key workouts and key concepts so that we start sprinkling in more and more not a lot but a few smaller rocks to fill in the bigger spaces in that jar and that could be volunteering in your community that could be taking on a mentorship role at work or you know teaching somebody at work or being more engaged at church or in your little league, or, you know, there's a, there's so many different activities that take our day, but we need to feel good about the rocks in the jar first before we start adding the smaller rocks. And as you're already hearing, it's maybe one or two or three rocks, smaller rocks that we're adding to those bigger ones into the jar. And because we're getting the recovery and the sleep and the self-care and the health and the wisdom around each of those legs and that growth and that stool is saying somewhat imbalance we've talked in the past about how it always isn't going to be in perfect balance there's bigger projects there's family issues or commitments or training focus let's say a main event coming up that will create a little bit of an imbalance but we don't want anything dramatic right because if it's too imbalanced what happens we sit on it and we fall off it's crooked We slip off if we're standing on it. We want it still good enough that we can sit on it without falling off. Keep that in mind with the stool. And so then you ask, well, what are you gonna do with the sand? How do you fill it out? Well, that is the sweet spot. When you start hitting the sweet spot that you can fill that jar with sand, that means you are in a good rhythm of your life and your energy and you're okay with filling the empty spaces with f- with smaller not mindless not uncaring activities but that's just the rest of your day but you're more present you're more engaged you're more relaxed you're more patient you're more creative you're more in- you have more intention because you've taken care of the big rocks You feel good about the contribution you're making to the jar with a couple of small rocks. And then the sand just fills itself in so that by the end of 2019 or by the end of whatever time we designate, you feel pretty good about having filled the jar for the year and how you evaluate your priorities and those little rocks. Now, don't get me wrong. It is perfectly fine to have a jar with just three big rocks because if you're attending to that stool effectively that feels pretty good because you're you're already taking a step forward that you have those three rocks in the jar too often in the past with many athletes i've worked with on a deeper level It's those, they fit in two rocks and they're trying to jam in the third rock called self-care, called training, called health, called fitness, called nutrition, called all that in that rock. And that's a pretty big rock now, right? I mentioned a variety of things in there. And if you're trying to jam that into the jar, no, that's not gonna work. But if you balance them, if they're all about the same size, the ease of fitting into the jar properly will work a lot better. And I might be doing a terrible job with this jar jar description, but it just helps me describe what is important. And I want you all to keep in mind as we close out this 2019 launch double episode with that perspective. That way you say, you know what? My intentions this year are on the three-legged stool. I'm gonna stay focused on each one of them being strong, approximately the same length, and making sure I spend my days in those three categories, with those three rocks in the jar. If At the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month, you can say, my three rocks were in the jar today, I feel good about it. They were all equally strong. I didn't push one out or one didn't shrink in order for the other one that got bigger to fit into the jar. No, we want it to fit pretty nicely. So keep that in mind, or hopefully that creates a little bit of a description of why in this endurance sports world and why... I believe this coaching takes on a different angle. Why I keep saying I don't not I don't necessarily not care about the training plan, but again, the training plan is not the difficulty. It's trying to make the three-legged stool work. It's trying to keep you in balance that your family and your loved ones don't resent this that is passionate of your, that it has a passion within you to do, that you want this self, um, that you want this curiosity of what you're capable of, potentially the best version of yourself, or that curiosity to be satisfied on what you can do when it comes to health and fitness and endurance and these adventures and expeditions and that self-care. If that's... gnawing at you and you're curious about it we don't want to just let that be that flame be extinguished we want that flame to be addressed it's going to come up it's going to bubble up it's going to get its fire raging at some point so we don't want it to be a negative so therefore we need to keep everything in balance and my outcome for you is simple that you can continue to do this in a sweet spot, in a happy, in a joyful, in a fun, in a playful, in a um, um, non-resenting way. Because career, we all gotta make a living, and family, we all need our family and our loved ones' support, and that inter, um, that that relationship, that um, exchange of care and love with somebody or our community, it's also very important. In order to be the athlete that is the best version of yourself, they're all so intertwined. And so that is what I'm constantly trying to keep in mind as I'm communicating with all of you. That's a bigger picture of this Weekly Word podcast of saying, how do we do this? How do we navigate this as ultra endurance athletes, with visions of amazing adventures and events, and expeditions and self-curated um, um, adventures, that we keep the three-legged stool somewhat in balance, that we don't fall off the proverbial stool. In order, to, and then we're stuck with one of the three, and not being as feeling as complete and as whole in many aspects of who we are. So, <laughs> as many of you know from the Weekly Word podcast in the last, you know, 60 plus episodes where I sort of go off on these deeper tangents, um yeah, that's part of it. So, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. It was um a big two-parter. Um I will dive back into the training plan and Um, listener questions, and more training insights and emails and more concepts of the Ultra Endurance World next week on episode 97. And I wanted to thank you all for listening so far, this far, for all your nice emails. And um, again, I'm going to be doing some uh, updates and announcements on the newsletter this month. Um, It's February 1st here. So I'm thinking it's going to go out in the next few days. So um, sign up for the newsletter so that you can get some updates with regards to the training camp coming up, with regards to the Jersey and the Endurance Heroes charity that I really want to push hard, um, and then a variety of other nutrition tips and cool races and some other ideas I have for 2019, and yeah, uh, my favorite workouts are in there um, across swim, bike, run, strength, hiking, rocking, climbing, all kinds of things are in there. And then uh, sometimes just some cool uh, quotes and um, insights from the ultra endurance world. So sign up for that. But And then I know, I know, I know the nutrition podcast is coming. Emily literally sits now (laughs) 20 feet from me. So we should easily be able to record this and get this out there for you. So I know I've asked before, and I know I've talked about it before, but continue to shoot me emails. I will address them all. I have all the nutrition questions in a folder in my email, so we will go through all of them when we do the nutrition podcast. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much for joining me and all of us as a community on this journey for 2019 and the weekly word podcast um and yeah let's continue to do what we do best and that is take care of ourselves and that self-care and our health and continue to progress to become the newest latest best version of ourselves because the 2018 version is just going to get better and grow and Um, learn and apply and become a new best version of ourselves and create a new normal and create a new perspective and create a new joy and fun and vitality for all of this that we're doing and all of those around us. We want to project that joy and that fun and that balance and that feeling of being 100% present doing what we're doing. all around us so that more and more understand that delicate balance, not only between us and the other parts of our community, but also of us and nature and us and where we can just sort of go as a bigger group to understand we're all connected and we all can be successful in so many ways when the, we're, when we're applying that best version of ourselves. Have a great week.